I've been opening with Andy Petrillo to the same metal. And now I get to pick the music a little bit, right, Steve? Like I get the I'm flying soul today. Gordon Miller here with you on Toronto Today on TSN Radio from 11 to 1. I've worked with Andy Petrillo. I've worked with Scott MacArthur. I worked yesterday with Brian Hayes, but I've never worked by myself before. Even doing games, I've never worked without an analyst. I believe this is the first time in my career I've ever done anything by myself. And we got lots to talk about today. Um, we're going to have Jonas Siegel on in a few minutes. He had an exclusive interview with Austin Matthews in The Athletic today, which is interesting on a number of subjects. We'll talk to Richard Griffin from the Toronto Star about the Blue Jays and that game against Baltimore last night and where the Jays are going from here. In the second hour, we're going to talk to Rick Westhead, who's got a story on tomorrow night about Joe Murphy, the former first overall pick in the National Hockey League draft, and his sad story about his life after hockey and at times homeless in Kenora, Ontario, and and trying to, to get him help and trying to get other players the help they need, not just with post-concussion, but mental health issues and being able to talk about it and how the NHL is trying to help these players and family members are too. It's a heartbreaking story. We'll have Rick in the studio to talk to us. We'll talk to Ted Robinson, who is one of the most versatile broadcasters out there, longtime voice of tennis on NBC, but also the play-by-play voice of the San Francisco 49ers. Richard Sherman of the 49ers, very outspoken on the weekend, saying that the, the rule changes the NFL has put in place in terms of head contact and helmet contact is stupid. He posted a picture of a rugby tackle, said this would be a penalty in our league. And, of course, you got the 49ers in the middle of the Jimmy Garoppolo story, the Colin Kaepernick debate that continues to this day about kneeling during the national anthem. And, of course, we'll talk to Ted about the U.S. Open coming up and Serena Williams being the 26th seed, the greatest female tennis player of all time, is the 26th seed in that tournament. So that's a lot to talk about. The Austin Matthews thing is going to be really interesting to watch if his contract isn't done by training camp. But there's no indication that it has to be done. There's no rush. Matthews doesn't have to be signed until next season. But in Edmondson, Connor McDavid was done right away. In Buffalo, Jack Eichel's contract was done right before training camp opened. You've got the Leafs having to do William Nylander now because his contract is up. And then next year, you've got to do Marner and Matthews. And so the longer that goes on, the more questions there are going to be about how the Leafs are going to make everyone fit. Where does Matthews fit in in terms of a comparison with John Tavares' contract, which is a different thing. Matthews is a restricted free agent, doesn't have arbitration rights. Tavares was an unrestricted free agent. So are those two things comparable? And the other subtext of this whole thing is the whole Matthews dynamic with Mike Babcock and whether... He says it's a story or not. It, there was a meeting at the end of the season. Mike Babcock went down to talk to Austin Matthews in Arizona, and there was clearly some issues about usage. And Matthews acknowledges in the interview in the Athletic today that you know players and coaches aren't always on the same page. But I guess the question here is, are they reading from the same book? And the fact that Austin Matthews was 40th in the NHL in ice time for centers doesn't kill penalties um, would would make you wonder if he'll be happy with how this season turns out. And Matthews is saying all the right things and talking about how much he wants John Tavares to be here and how happy he is here. But there does seem to be a bit of a subtext to that about whether or not he and Mike Babcock are seeing things the same way. So all of that with training camp about three weeks away, 
will be an intriguing storyline all year long for the Leafs, especially until Austin Matthews' contract is done. And once it's done, we'll have a much better idea of where they are going forward in terms of where he fits, but more importantly, with the salary cap where Marner, Nylander, Kapitan, and others are going to fit moving down the road. So it's a lot to talk about, and uh, I'm looking forward to today. We're also going to talk a little bit about keeping players happy and whether or not that's a team's obligation. Is it your, should teams worry about keeping players happy? There's a report on ESPN last night that the Raptors are going to hire Jeremy Castleberry, who's been on the staff of the San Antonio Spurs. He's a close friend of Kawhi Leonard. They played high school and college basketball together. So is that part of the idea to to keep Kawhi Leonard as happy as possible? Because that's something we're going to be watching all year long, is the Kawhi watch. So with that in mind, let's bring in Jonas Siegel, our good friend. I just flew solo for five minutes and 26 seconds, Jonas. So that was... Uh, I'm very proud of myself. Um, and talking basketball. Love basketball. Me too. Love basketball. Love, love all sports. I, it's always amazed me, Jonas, that people say, you know, how can you like tennis? I'm a hockey fan. I like all sports. I, yeah, I like, me too. I like some more than most, more than others, but I mean, I I love all sports. I mean, I, I find sports interesting. I find the, the characters interesting and the stories interesting. So who says you have to like one sport over the other? Yeah. Is there one sport that you... that people like more than you like you just can't get into like for me it's golf like i um, i would love to like golf more than i do but i don't a sport that i wish i liked more i i have bad history with cricket i did cricket once on <laughs> tsn and didn't do very well and rugby i wish i yeah rugby i i botched rugby on tsn about 20 years ago and I, i'd like a do-over on that because i think rugby is a great sport but yeah I, I wish i'd done better at it so you have an interview today in the athletic with austin matthews when was it done uh, last week. Okay, so I saw him at Bobby Orr's golf tournament on Friday. Very affable and friendly and seems to be in a good state of mind. I was intrigued by a couple of things. I mean, a lot of it's interesting, but I was intrigued by a couple of things. And first and foremost was when you asked him about the meeting with Mike Babcock and how he, he made the point that, look, coaches and players aren't always going to be on the same page. Do you think that too much was made at the end of last season about a disconnect between Mike Babcock and Austin Matthews? I do, but I can understand how it could kind of spin the way it did. Like, I just think that's probably more normal than we think it is, and we just don't hear about it all the time. Like, I, I just don't think uh, coaches and players are always, like, hunky-dory. Like, I'm working on a story about another player, and I was talking to his, his old coach, and, and he was telling me stories about the two of them, like, not always agreeing on everything and having, like, fiery meetings but it was all it was all okay, and so I could see a situation where there is some strain between Babcock and Matthews, given everything that's happened, like given what was going on in that playoff series, given that like it's a really long year, and Mike Babcock is really demanding, and I can imagine a situation where he's pushing and he's pushing and he's pushing, and at some point, you know, Matthews in that situation, you know, where he's not scoring, where he's frustrated, maybe bites back. Like I, I just think it's more normal than we think it is. And even the meeting, uh, like players and coaches meet in the summer. I do think it was interesting that, that Babcock did travel to see him so soon after the year. That that makes me think that, you know, he was probably concerned that there was some lingering discontent that he had to handle. But I, I, I tend to think it's probably more normal than we think it is. Okay, but it, let me ask you this, though. If Connor McDavid had come out and said in an interview this week that 
that he and Todd McClellan weren't always on the same page. Yeah. I think that would be big news. But, but but let me ask you this: Is it is it odd that a coach and players wouldn't a coach and player wouldn't always agree on everything? Is that oh, unusual? No, I don't think it's unusual. I think it's unusual that it has it become so public here. I think it's unusual that yeah. it's become for however it became public. It has become. I mean, I'm not saying that they're at you know they're at each other's throats. I'm not suggesting that. I have no evidence to that to that case one way or the other. But yeah. there was a meeting, and there yeah. have been discussions about it. And it does seem to be. I mean, he is for, He was forty first last year in ice time for centers, mm-hmm. and and I got to think, Jonas, that this year, all year long, as soon as the game's over, we're going to be looking at the game sheet to see how much did he play. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, yeah, but but but, he, but this year it's going to be even more difficult for his ice time to actually go up because they've just added one of the best centers in the league. Right. But but. It, it's tough. Like I understand it from both sides. Like I think there's a point in that in the interview where, you know, Matthews mentions like something about every player wanting to play more. And I think, you know, power play is probably part of that. But if you're Mike Babcock in that situation, like think of it from a, a few different perspectives, like for one thing, like you look at the power play in particular, their, their other power play unit, the one that didn't have Matthews on it was awesome. So why would Mike Babcock given that, start playing Matthews more on the power play if the other unit's helping them win. The other part that I think makes more sense, like you look at how much Connor McDavid plays, for example, or Barkov, who plays, I think, close to 22 minutes a game. Why wouldn't you want to try to conserve Austin Matthews if you could to save him for the playoffs? Like the, the wear and tear, like you look at the, the extra minutes of just playing, you know, two, three minutes more a game over 80 games. That adds up. Like, we've right. seen this more in the NBA where they really make an effort about conserving their stars. I just think it, it should be more commonplace in hockey that if you can afford it, play your top guys a little bit less in, in hopes of keeping them fresh for the playoffs, and especially last year, you know, given some of the injuries that Matthews went through. But, again, like, I could understand it from Matthews' perspective wanting to play more. What was your take on his feeling about the playoffs you asked about you know the, the playoff series against the Bruins what was what was your feeling on that I think like it was there were there were a couple points in those playoffs where I'm sure you remember Gord like he got he was very frustrated he was frustrated for sure you could because, see because like yeah. he expects to score he's counted on to score and he's not scoring and he did he wasn't dominant like you expect him to be um but I think there's probably a part of him that looks at that series and and he kind of mentions this and looks at it in terms of like he was generating opportunities. They weren't going in. It's a short series. They come back and they like, I don't know. Like I, I could just understand for, from his perspective being frustrated, but also knowing that a lot of what he did could have gone a different way. Like that you generate that many chances. And I think he had 27 shots in the series a lot of it could have gone the other way where some of those chances go in and, and you're looking a little bit better. Or maybe, you know, we've seen it in the past with stars. I, I think we've seen it with Crosby. We've seen it with everyone where you have a quiet first series and then the second series, you you just explode. You know, some of those chances you were getting before turn out differently. Like I'm just saying, I, I just think the narrative could have been different if they win that game seven, they play in the second round, who knows how far they get uh, and things start to change for him. But, you know, he's 
you know, had two playoffs. One was really good. One was not as good. And, and obviously, um, you know, when you're the star player, we expect production. And when the production's not there, right. you know, you get criticism. That's, that's fair. So how much should we read into the fact that he's not signed yet? That's a good question, too. Uh, I don't know that we should, just because there's no... Like, I know we looked at, you know, Connor McDavid, and I think he signed on, like, July 5th or something yeah. like that. Um, but if, if I'm both sides, I'm looking... If I'm the Leafs, I'm trying to push that number down as much as I possibly could. Like, I don't, I don't know what it is. Like, if, 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 you're, if we think the number's 11, you know, by, set, by 8, um, I would try to push that 11 down as much as I could. And if I'm the camp for Matthews, I'm saying, no. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold tight and try right. to keep it as close to, let's say, 11's that number as I possibly can because there's, there's incentive, you know, for Matthews to not take it. You know, maybe you don't take the extension – uh, like there's a risk for the Leafs to not doing it now. He could go out, score 45 goals, and win the Hart Trophy. And then what's he worth? Right. Like, so that you can you can come at it from both sides and and see kind of the pressure points. But I don't know. I don't think it's it's a huge thing that it, it's not done just because there's no urgency to have it done on August whatever today is. When does the red light over your door start flashing when William Nylander's not signed? <laughs> October. <laughs> I guess that's but that's such a hard like that is a hard contract. What like oh. if you were the Leafs, what would you offer? Well, I think it depends what you think of him. And I'm not answering your question with a question, but if if you think he's a core piece, then then it's probably a number that starts with seven. That's that's kind of the that's kind of the going rate. Now, I would guess that they're hoping to get Marner and Nylander done for under something like thirteen and a half together. Bridging that seems very optimistic. Bridging Nylander is a really risky proposition, right? That's a really yes. risky thing. Yes, I would go. Like I, I think he's. You're right about like his potential is so difficult to kind of sort through. But at minimum, like at minimum, let's say he doesn't completely like he doesn't fulfill his potential. At minimum, is he's a 20 goal, 65 right. point player? Is that fair? Yeah, for sure. So that's. I don't know. Like if I'm them, and and it's. I don't know, six years by close to seven, I'm doing it just because I, I, I think the, the seal, like the, the floor for him is so high and the ceiling for him is so high. Like he could, he's so interesting to me because like, unlike Marner, who's obviously exceptionally talented, he could be a scorer. Like I, if he right. scored 35 goals, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, so when will the concerns start to kick in? I guess as we tick closer to training camp, like we're like, less than a month away and the deal's not done. I just think it's a really hard deal because you can come at it from so many different ways uh, in terms of, like you said, what do you think of him? How good do you think he can be? All right, I'm told we have to let you go. Do you have something pressing? Like in August, you're the leaf. Like, what do you, what do, you do? Like, what, what? I have a lunch, a lunch meeting that I got to get to. Oh, well, heaven forbid. What time's your lunch? 1130. It's an early lunch. Oh, it's wings. It's early wings. Oh, my God. I can make the recommendation for you if you want. Hurricanes on, on Blur. I don't like wings. So no, that would be hard no. for me. It would be hard for me to go to a wings restaurant because I don't love wings. But enjoy your lunch. <laughs> sorry, Pierre. Or sorry, Gord. I don't know why I said Pierre. <laughs> I don't know why you said that either. <laughs> but no one's ever mixed I guess the, I connect you two. No one's ever mixed Pierre and I up. I, I appreciate that. Um, Jonas, thanks for the wisdom and great piece in The Athletic today. Well worth the thanks. subscription. I appreciate it. Thanks, Corey. Right, there's Jonas Siegel.
the reporter for us and, of course, primarily for the Athletic TO. And it's a, it's a good read. The Austin Matthews interview is really interesting. He's a, it's a fascinating dynamic for Matthews. He talks about you know the fishbowl in Toronto and what it's like to live and play here and the scrutiny you get under. He talked about shortly after he was drafted, you know, he hadn't played a game yet for the least. He was walking down the street and a woman walking with her child asked for a picture. Then he goes to Arizona to his, to his home in Scottsdale and all of a sudden no one knows him. And his life is completely different in that respect. So Matthews lives sort of on two poles. One where he comes here and every move is scrutinized. Then he goes back home in the off season and he's just a guy walking down the street in Arizona. And it's a fascinating dynamic for him. So I, my opinion on Austin Matthews, I think he's a superstar. I think Austin Matthews is, if not already, one of the three best centers in the NHL. And so if you think that about him, and he puts up another year like the last two, then maybe he is a $12 million player. What if he scores 40 goals again? What if he scores 45, 50 goals? What if he's the dominant center in the Eastern Conference? What if, what if he turns out to be more productive than Sidney Crosby this year? I mean, that, all of that is what goes into management's decisions. And the problem with this system is it wasn't supposed to work like this. When the, when the last collective bargaining deal was done... The idea was the teams had all the leverage early, but in a lot of cases, they don't want to use it because what if you get in a contract fight with Austin Matthews now? And that's what Jonas talked about. You're trying to drive that number down. You're trying to save every nickel because not this year, but the year beyond, you're going to be in a cap jam. So how do you do that without getting into a fight with a player and potentially losing him? And we'll talk about that later in the show about how far should teams go to keep players happy and and how far do you have to bend over to make sure that your star players are happy. So it's a fascinating conversation. It's about three weeks to training camp, Joe? Our producer, Joe, is it three weeks? I think so, to training camp? Yeah, I believe two two and two and a little bit over. Yeah, so, so close I mean, to three. the Nylander thing, I think after Labor Day, the Nylander thing is going to start ringing some alarm bells. If he's not signed by the first week of September, there's going to be a lot of alarm bells sounding about what you do with William Nylander. I mean, he's been a very productive player. He's, he's, he's hand in glove with Austin Matthews. Very productive, but if you go long and big on him and you're long and big on Matthews and you're long and big on Marner, there's only so many, only so many beans fit in the jar, and you got to figure out how to make them all go. So we'll keep talking about that as the show goes along. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk to Richard Griffin, Toronto Star baseball columnist and baseball manager of some repute as well um, in the minor levels, uh, well, amateur levels. Uh, We'll talk about the Jays game last night and where they're going when we come back on Toronto Today on TSN 1050 and the TSN radio app. We've had the Stones so far. We've had Green Day. It's a good day so far on TSN 1050. I'm Gord Miller on Toronto Today from 11 to 1 Eastern Time. I guess I have to say that I'm on Toronto Radio. I have to say Eastern Time. Flying solo today for the first time. We talked to Jonas Siegel a moment ago about Austin Matthews. We're going to put up a poll question. What you think Austin Matthews should make on an AAV, average annual value for a new contract. Should it be Connor McDavid-type money? Is he worth that? A little less than that? Maybe some John Tavares in that neighborhood? Less than that? We'll get your opinion on that. But right now, let's turn our attention to baseball. Jays won the first game of their series last night against the woeful Baltimore Orioles, who are now 50 and a half games out of first place and who were the first team in Major League Baseball last night to be eliminated from... Contention for the postseason as Oakland won later in the evening. Here is Richard Griffin, who sat through that entire episode last night. Richard, congratulations on that. Yeah, congratulations to you, flying solo. 
It's so, your Charles Lindbergh moment. Are you wearing a leather helmet and goggles? I am. I am, Richard. Uh, let's hope it goes better than the Hindenburg flight. But we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll keep, or Amelia Earhart. We'll keep an eye on that. She wasn't solo, I guess. But um, I want to talk to you a little bit about Aaron Sanchez to start with. And, and I don't know if you heard a moment ago on the update, Buster only saying this morning, like another tough outing for, for Sanchez and his rehab stint. How concerned should the Blue Jays be about this? Well, I think uh, what would temper the concern is the fact that he threw 86 pitches, and I know that 44 of them were balls and 42 strikes, which is not a good ratio. But I think with, uh, with the concern uh, over his finger and whether it – I mean, this one is not uh, a blister, uh, but it's still a finger issue, same finger. I, I think that the 86 pitches should be a reason for optimism, um, but not, not the result. I think he's going to need at least one more – uh, outing maybe at Buffalo the next time, and then in September come up and, and try and get back in the rotation. But uh, as far as, as the number of pitches, he's gone steadily upwards. I think 75 was his previous outing and 86 this time. So, so that's one way to look at it in terms of encouragement. But clearly, Richard, starting this season, the idea was that Sanchez was going to be the ace of the staff, and if they were going to have a successful year, he was going to be a big part of it. He obviously wasn't, and they're not in in contention. Right. I mean, it's it, uh, when you look back at it, um, without Sanchez and and Stroman getting off to a slow start and getting hurt, and uh, Jay Happ was really the only reliable starter in that group in that five man group. That at spring training we were debating whether it was a top five in the American League rotation, and so that completely fell apart. Now they're going to have to roll the dice on both those guys because they're controllable Sanchez and Stroman they're controllable uh, through 2020 so they've got a couple of more seasons uh, we've we've talked on the show before about my belief that 2020 is a realistic right. uh, season for them to look at so they got 2019 to evaluate what they have in Stroman and, and what they have in Sanchez and what they have uh, as a matter of fact in, in the young starters that are, are now populating the rotation so um, you know, they definitely have to make up their mind in 2019 whether they can rely on Sanchez and Stroman. So I suppose the question, you know, did Stroman take a step forward last night? It's one, look, it's one start. You've got to be careful taking a snapshot and turning into a movie. But was that a step forward last night? For Sanchez? For Stroman. For Stroman. Um, Stroman is, uh, he's, he's, <laughs> showed pictures of his uh, blister, which um, I don't think is a five-day blister. I don't think it's a 10-day DL. I don't think he's just missing one start. It's going to be into September uh, before you see what, what happens with him yeah. moving forward. So I, I think both those guys will, if they're lucky, get back into the rotation. It's more likely than Stroman uh, first, but I, I don't think Stroman has taken a step forward. That's trouble, right? That is trouble. I mean, here's a guy who's going into his second year of arbitration. He lost the first year and was very upset about it. Um, you know, and he, he still talks the talk. Uh, he doesn't walk the walk at this point, but he talks the talk about still having the chance to be a dominant starter in the American League um, for a long time. But, you know, time is running out for him to prove that. And for all those who say that... Uh, that a right-handed starter under 5'10 has a very difficult time 
you know, maybe maybe that's part of it. But uh, he still has the confidence. He just needs to step up and and uh, walk the walk. So when I say a step forward for Stroman, I mean in terms of you know acknowledging that he's not right and and sort of addressing it as opposed to this sort of dance he's been doing which is the last month or so which which hasn't seemed to be very productive well i, I think he's tried to be the uh the the counter sanchez in terms of uh this blister is not going to affect me i'm going out there next time i'm going to take the ball every five days and despite the blister but i think the only thing that he's come to grips with is reality and uh, and that that includes uh, sending out an Instagram photo of that huge blister on his finger. I, you know, there's no way that he could get back out there on the mound. Uh, he pitched through it maybe three or four times, and all of them ended up being shorter outings because of the blister. And finally, they just you know they they can't go along with it anymore. Can't send him out there every fifth day. September's coming up chance to bring up uh, some other starters. Right. Season's lost. It's not as lost as the Orioles season. I mean, <laughs> being eliminated <laughs> yesterday. But, uh, yeah, no, I don't think it was that much of a step forward. I think it was just coming to grips with reality. So to speak, coming to grips. Is this just bad luck for the Blue Jays? I mean, are a lot of players, are a lot of pitchers around Major League Baseball having blister and finger issues that I'm just not noticing? Yeah, there's a much larger number that I can ever remember in my 43 years, and I think we touched on it yesterday. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's new baseballs every pitch. A lot of it has to do with these guys. You know, they don't do anything off the field to strengthen and toughen their their skin on their hands and fingers. And, you know, they don't. all they do is work out in the offseason. Used to be guys... <laughs> We're bailing hay and and doing farm chores. I mean, it's where the large majority of pitchers came from in the uh, 30s through 50s, and they never had blister problems. But now you've got the balls. Now you've got uh, guys with soft hands, and it, it's becoming a problem more than more than we see here because we're so Blue Jay centric. You just notice it here, but it, right. it is a problem around baseball. How did the Orioles get so bad? They made the playoffs three times in five years, and then the last two years they've been horrible. I mean, they're terrible. Yeah, and and it's it's sad to see Buck Showalter yeah. wandering around uh, pregame. He he walked past me while I was doing um, a phone interview last night, and he just looked so pitiful. And I think that you know, given the players that he has. Given the fact that they traded Manny Machado and didn't really get much back, um, given the fact that for the last three or four years, Dan Duquette, the GM, has been putting together a rotation of cast-off free agents, and he's been getting away with it because Chris Davis, they've had some good hitters, Mark Trumbo, Chris Davis, Manny Machado. They've been able to overcome... Uh, a, a regularity of five-inning mediocre starts from their starting pitchers, and this year they can't do it. They don't have the offense. Chris Davis having perhaps the worst year of any uh, anybody making that much money in history, and uh, they just they've got too many things to overcome. They traded away their closer. Um, and it's not going to get any better in the last month and a half for them. So who's to blame here? Is this ownership? Is this the, is this the the Angelos family? What is it? Oh, it's, it's the Angelos family. Um, it's, it's, it's the fact that they've let their farm system go to waste. It's the fact that they've ignored international free agents over the years. 
It's the fact that, uh, you know, I know that I helped uh, Canadian scout you know, go to work for the Orioles, and they let them go after two years because they weren't interested in scouting Canada anymore. Um, so they sort of stayed at home, and now their fans are staying at home. So. <laughs> It's come full circle for them. Um, Joel Sherman of the New York Post reporting today that uh, Justin Smoke has gone through waivers unclaimed, which means he can now be traded to any team. Do you think there'll be much of a market for him? Um, I, I think there might be, but uh, you know, I, I think you could any writer could guess and say so and so has gone through waivers unclaimed um, because it's very rare to see somebody get claimed. I mean. The August period, August 31st, is important because a player needs to be on a roster to be eligible for the postseason, needs to be on a 40-man roster to be eligible for the postseason. So that's an imp- the importance of that date. But there's the major- vast majority of players have gone through waivers unclaimed. Um, you know, Donald- the Donaldson situation is different because he's on the DL and he needs to be playing before they can even put him on waivers. Uh, he can be playing in the minor leagues, and then they can put him on waivers and and then we'll see what happens. But for Justin Smoke, I think all the contenders have legit first basemen that are comparable or uh, better than Justin Smoke, not defensively, but all around. And uh, I think that he'll stay put for the rest of the year. Rich, I know you love baseball. You, 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 you manage amateur baseball in the Toronto area, and you've been watching it for, as you said, 40-plus years. I watched the game last night, was flipping around, watching some other games, I have to say, honestly, as someone who is a casual baseball watcher, the entertainment level is is not high for me. And, you know, we, we heard the Elias Sports Bureau talk about April being the first month in baseball history where there were more strikeouts than hits. It happened again in June. Right now, it's neck and neck between hits and strikeouts in baseball this year. I think there's been 150 more hits than strikeouts. Yeah, I, I agree with you, um, Gord. It's It's... You know, you look at the game last night, and and the fact that the two teams combined were 80-some games out of first place, but it's just the amount of action in the game. It's Every time there's a close play, the umpires look to the dugout, and you wait 30 seconds, and it's not even whether there's a review. It's whether there's going to be a review that that causes that delay. And it just interrupts the flow. Everybody who used to watch a game and then a play was made, then the next batter stepped in. Now everybody, after a play, after a close play, looks up at the uh, TV for a replay and waits to see whether they're going to uh, challenge or not. And, and that's not the way baseball should be played. If you're not going to trust umpires to make the calls, and I agree that there are certain calls that need to be reviewed, but if you're not going to trust umpires to make the basic calls, then just do away with them and bring in the electronic and experiment in the minor leagues and then bring it to the major leagues. But just get the game moving again and, and, and get the fans back into interest and get some action on the field like there used to be because there's so many good athletes out oh, there. terrific. And they're not being allowed to really uh, strut their stuff. And, well, and that's, that's something that they're going to have to solve. There's something different for me, too. So last night there were 15 hits in the game. Okay, between the two teams. Now, obviously, two last place teams, but still, fifteen hits in a three-hour game. That's a hit every twelve minutes. Mm-hmm. We're, 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 it's like we're just sitting waiting for the next home run. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and um, I, I think it's as you said, the balls that are not put in play. I mean, people are talking about MVP, and they're looking at guys 
who drew the most walks. Are you going to give an MVP <laughs> to a guy because he didn't swing the bat? I think that that's going about it the wrong way. I think too much emphasis, and, and call me old school, but too much emphasis on on-base percentage. Um, I remember Frank Thomas, I talked to him when he was with the Jays, and, and, and he was always able to swing only at balls in the strike zone. If a pitch was two inches off the outside corner, he wouldn't swing at it. He right. had that good a batting eye. And I'm saying to him, I said, you're, the, you're batting third or fourth in the lineup. You're expected to drive in runs. If first base is open and there's a runner on second base, you taking that pitch two inches off and getting a walk doesn't help. That's not what you're paid to do. Right. And I think that there's not enough of that going on in terms of, of the big players taking the big role. I think there's too much analytics, too much uh, money at stake in terms of, oh, yeah, my OPS. And OPS is becoming obsolete now, but that's one that I understand. <laughs> I was just, anyway. just figuring it out. Yeah, you I, can't. You can't do that. And and that's where the money is. And um, I just it, it's it's not ruining the game. I don't want to sound like an old fuddy duddy. No, no, but no. But I, I'm just talking about someone who wants to be entertained. I'm, yeah, like, like absolutely. To, to me, entertainment, honestly, more than a home run, first and third, and, and nobody out is entertaining. Like when a team gets a rally going, when you know when you got a chance to score multiple runs. I mean, home runs are great, but they kind of happen. They look the same. I mean, a close play at the plate, those kind of things. When you get a rally going, the crowd starts to build and stays built for a while. Is entertaining to me. Yeah, and and to me, the technology on television for all sports. I mean, you watch golf and they got the tracker yeah. and they got this and that. I used to watch golf and they'd show the last three holes. And you, they'd show a drive, and you'd look up in the sky, and you couldn't see the ball. <laughs> and, and that was television golf. And, and right now, there's, there's no sport that has taken to TV better than baseball. And they just need to take advantage of that and, and create more action and create more movement and create more situations like you just described. First and third, nobody out. Let's see what's going on. Get on the edge of your seat and, get, and play along with these guys. And, and, and let's, let's get something going. Well, Richard, I don't know what the Toronto Star is paying you to go to every game of a Toronto-Baltimore series, <laughs> but it's not enough. Well, well, I, I do, uh, I do have the laptop open and maybe on some other, uh, <laughs> some, some other things. But. Are you binging Netflix while you're at the game? Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Richard, thanks for talking to us. Okay, Gord, good luck. Thanks. Good. Luck. That's our old friend Richard Griffin of the Toronto Star, who uh, will be back there tonight as the Blue Jays take on the Orioles and. Uh, Maybe we'll see a few more hits tonight. It, it, it does sound, you do sound old and fuddy-duddy and kind of, I remember when, but i got to be honest, sitting around waiting for home runs doesn't do it for me. And, and Aaron Judge, in his three years in Major League Baseball, has already struck out more than Joe DiMaggio did in his career. He has struck out nearly 400 times. He's on the DL now, but it's the number of strikeouts and the amount of times the ball is not put in play I think is an issue for baseball, but that's for bigger minds than me to consider. So we still got uh, Rick Westhead to join us in the second hour. We'll talk about his heart-wrenching piece on Joe Murphy, uh, a terrific NHL player who's really fallen on hard times lately. And Rick has done a lot of work on talking about players post-career. And we'll talk to Ted Robinson, who is the play-by-play voice of the San Francisco 49ers and also one of the lead voices in the world of tennis. We'll talk about the upcoming U.S. Open, and we'll talk about Richard Sherman, his comments about the NFL's new helmet hit rules and about the fallout from what began in San Francisco, which was the, the kneeling during the anthem by Colin Kaepernick. It's all coming up. And when we come back, we'll talk about Austin Matthews, his contract, 
and your thoughts on TSN 1050 and the TSN app. I'm not sure this applies to me working all day and all night. I'm only working two hours today, but on my own, Gord Miller here with you on TSN 1050. Kind of fun to be flying solo, although I can't interrupt the host. Can't taunt the host. Can't make fun of him. So it's not as fun, but Andy Petrillo will be back after Labor Day with Leafs Lunch. The gang's back on Overdrive after Labor Day. Scott MacArthur will be back. It's going to be good stuff. So we had the interview with Jonas Siegel uh, in the first hour, the, f- the first part of the first hour, and we talked about Austin Matthews, the interview with him. And we also talked about Matthew's contract and where you think it should wind up. So we asked you the poll question, what do you think Austin Matthews should make per year on his next contract? So 9 to $10 million, 11 plus, or 12 and a half. Now, I'm going to give producer Joe some crap here because, Joe, there's nothing that says, what about 10 to 11? You didn't put that in. I thought I kind of covered that. Though. No, 9 to 10 and 11 plus. So 10-5 isn't covered. Oh, okay, okay. You're right. I, I apologize there. See, things might change, but something still stay, stay, stay the same. <laughs> Never you can change, still Joe. chirp the same but, producer. But the number one is 11 plus million. And I, and I think the, the widely held belief, among Leaf fans especially, is that he'll come in somewhere around what John Tavares got. That you'll give Matthews roughly what Tavares got. Now, Tavares got seven years at 11 million. The Leafs can give Matthews an eighth year. Only the team that re-signed its own player can give him an eighth year. So it brings up the question, this irritated some people when Tavares signed that I brought this up, and I get it because there was excitement about John Tavares signing, but there are people around the NHL who have talked about what the Leafs cap situation is. And let's let's talk about it. There's some numbers here, but this is what it is. Not counting Nathan Horton, who will be on long-term injury reserve at $5.3 million, but not counting him, the Leafs, not for this season, but for next season, 2019-2020, have nine players signed to contracts worth $43 million. Let's say Austin Matthews comes in at $11 million. You now have 10 players signed at $54 million. You still have to do William Nylander. You still have to do Mitch Marner. you got to do Kasperi Kapanen. You only have three defensemen and one goaltender signed beyond this year. So basically... You've got 12. If, if you get Nylander and Marner done, just say for a combined, let's call it $15 million. You're now at 12 players at $69 million. So you've got to sign 11 more players. Now the cap is going up next year to $79.5 million. This year it'll be $79.5. That's the biggest jump. The $4.5 million jump in the cap is the biggest in five years. It's the Vegas effect. Vegas came into the league, a ton more revenue. Revenue increases drive up the cap. There won't be a Vegas effect this year. They've raised ticket prices somewhat, but there won't be a $4.5 million jump. It's unlikely, but let's just say, let's just say the cap goes from 79.5 to 85 million. Just say for next season, for the 2019 2020 season. The Leafs would have to sign 11 players for $17 million. Four of them would be defensemen. One would be a goaltender. Defensemen, on average, make about $4.5 million in the NHL. It becomes a tight squeeze. Now, that presumes that everyone stays. And, of course, there'll be player movement. But that's why I think a lot of people feel the Leafs, and Jonas talked about this, are trying to keep Austin Matthews' extension as low as they can and trying to keep Nylander's extension as low as they can. Now, Mitch Marner is in a situation where he can sit back and play it out with the Leafs this year 
If he leads the team in points again, what kind of number can he command? And the problem with the NHL salary cap, unlike all the other caps in sports, is that it's a zero-sum game. You only have so much to spend. So take a family, for example. If you have $5,000 to spend this month on expenses and your mortgage costs you $3,000 a month and you can't use credit, you can't go over, then something's got to go. Some things are going to have to to come off the books. And so that's what the NHL salary cap does. It's why the Edmonton Oilers are in such a jam because they have two players, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, who between them are making $22 million a year. And you've got Chicago with Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, who between them are making $21 million a year in the cap. And it becomes very hard to fit everyone else in. To date, no team has won the salary cap with a player making eight figures. That's $10 million plus. No team has done it. Now, obviously the salary cap's going up, as we talked about, and eventually some team will do it. But in Washington, the highest paid player makes $9 million. In Pittsburgh, Crosby and Malkin between them make $17 million. That's how they afford Phil Kessel. The, fact, the difference between Chicago and Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh's top two players make about $4 million a year, almost $5 million a year less than Chicago's do. With Toronto paying part of Phil Kessel's salary, Pittsburgh can fit a Phil Kessel in. And that's, that's where the jam comes. And it's not being critical of the Leafs. They've got smart people. Kyle Dubas knows what he's doing. Brandon Pridham, their, their cap expert. they got a lot of smart people down there. The question is, do they have the room to do what they want to do? And can they get their players to buy in and say... If you want to play on a good team, if you want to play on a consistent, contending team, then this is what it's going to have to be. And we have seen players do that. We have seen players take a discount because they believe they want to play on a better team. The difference between the NHL and, say, the National Football League is Tom Brady has restructured his contract three or four times to make room for other players in New England. In the NHL, you cannot restructure a contract. There is so little leeway... So you are married to these deals. And this becomes why some teams are wary of free agency. It becomes why some teams sit out July the 1st and say, I don't like it because I don't want to get married to these contracts. And think about the summer of 2016. This is July the 1st, 2016. And these are eight contracts, the biggest eight contracts that were signed that day. Milan Lucic, seven years, $42 million. Kylo Poso, seven years, $42 million. Andrew Ladd, seven years, $38.5. Louis Erickson, six years, $36 million to Vancouver. Franz Nielsen, six years, $31 million. David Backus, five years, $30 million in Boston. Darren Helm, five years, $19.25 million to go back to Detroit. Troy Brower, four years, $18 million. You could have any one of those players right now. Basically, if you agree to take the contract you could have that player essentially for nothing. And so on free agency day this year, on July 1st, John Tavares was the only player to get a seven-year deal. And that's a real difference for them from past years that players are not getting long deals. They're getting money, but not long deals. And the second part of it that we don't hear about is there are roughly 90 players who played in the National Hockey League last year who don't have a contract. They're unrestricted. That doesn't count William Nylander. These are unrestricted free agents, players who are free to sign with any team they want and don't have a contract. 
So for all the talk about the guys that hit home runs on July the 1st, there are lots of guys who right now are looking for contracts. And the reason they, they don't have a contract, they got squeezed out. The, the fact is, their teams are capped out. They can't afford to bring a guy back at even $2 million or a million and a half. So what they're going to do is they're going to sit around, they're going to sign players to what's called a professional tryout, a PTO, and see who works. And it becomes a very difficult proposition for teams. And the fact of the salary cap is you have to make hard decisions. And you have to decide which players you want to keep and which players are expendable. And the Leafs are soon coming to the point, if Matthews gets a big extension, if Nylander gets a big extension, that some players are going to have to go because there simply won't be room for them. When we come back in the second hour, we'll talk to Rick Westhead, a terrific piece he's doing on Joe Murphy. And we'll also talk to Ted Robinson, the voice of the 49ers and one of the lead voices of tennis. You're listening to TSN Today on TSN 1050 and the TSN app.